0: From Nice Sky Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. The world of cinematic horror has its own class system. The major studios partnering with companies like Blumhouse and Ghost House have to appeal to the broadest possible audience and have made the franchise film the center of their universe. That's not to say it's a bad thing, just something that sands the edges off the transgressive stories that are the lifeblood of horror movies. It is the world of the independent film from which most of the original ideas and terror tales are birthed. The stakes and the overhead are not nearly as high for companies like A24 and XYZ as they are for the corporate conglomerates. And a film that grosses a couple million dollars at the box office can be considered a big success. I love being surprised by a movie, taken somewhere I think I've been before, only to discover that I haven't, and the filmmakers take sharp left-turn moves in opposition to expectations. A week or so ago, I saw just such a film, and was delighted by it. Talk to Me centers around a group of teenagers, which is usually a red flag for me, but it is so human, so surprising, and so sure-handed in its handling of story and character that I was completely won over. It also contains genuinely frightening and chilling scenes that reached me, and I can be a tough audience. Even more surprising is that it's a debut feature film from the twin Filippo brothers Danny and Michael, best known for their YouTube channel creation Racka Racka, which is primarily comedic, but with heavy dives into horror. We're going to talk with these talented brothers about their journey from successful YouTubers to feature filmmakers who made a Sundance sensation that comes out in theaters in late July and see what makes them tick. Wow. Gentlemen, welcome to The hey. Slab and thanks for joining us here. <laughs> oh, in that was great. That was so amazing. Thank you for having us. Yes. It's so uh, cool. So cool. Well, it was such a wonderful and surprising film. We get invited to a lot of screenings, but this was, it's really terrific. It's obviously made by people with a love for the genre. Where did that start? Uh, You were were brought up in Australia. What part of Australia were you raised
1: in? It's South Australia. It's the the part no one knows. Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide. Ah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and um, we've always just been obsessed since as long as I can remember with movies. And horror was the first one that was... Like, I guess that we connected with or like we were, there was a there was a lady, our dad's friend that would take us to the theatres to watch movies that we weren't allowed, supposed to be watching, you know, uh-huh. MA15 plus, which is what in... That's America's R. America's so, yeah, R. yeah. Like if you're under 15, you have to be over a guardian or a parent. Right. So she would take us to all the MA15 plus movies. Um, and I became really obsessed with horror because my mum was always very strict on what we could and couldn't watch. She's like, you cannot watch PG medium level violence. The Australian rating system. Right. Like, would be like be very specific. I mean, we weren't allowed to watch Chucky or any horror movies, and because it was forbidden, it made it that much more exciting to to watch. And so <laughs> and that was yeah, that was mum because our mum and dad were split. So mum was like, you can't, and dad's like, do whatever you want. <laughs> you know. And then there was that lady that took us to the theaters. All those things, and then like we would always get around with our grandfather because. He he never understood. I would always get him to buy me R-rated films, and like he just wouldn't understand what what he was doing. As I would pretend store. to be sick. I remember, yeah, pretending to be sick, and then getting him to go buy me The Exorcist book and uh, <laughs> Halloween two, which was R-rated. So like, uh, I remember, yeah, he. he I was the unit
0: list. publicist on Halloween two. really <laughs> yeah. wow, that's, like, amazing.
1: that was my first R-rated DVD.
0: Awesome, <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's so cool. Well, your enthusiasm for the genre is so clear. Um, were you alone in your love for this or did you have mates that were also horror fans that you could share it with
1: we had like 12 to 15 kids around the same age that lived just around the corner from us you know so every day after school we'd go and make movies and fight each other with backyard wrestling those are the two things that we did (laughs) you know and uh they weren't necessarily fans of horror but they were just fans of everyone just hanging out and you know, they wanted to hang out with us and that's what we were doing. So it was like, you know, we're, well, we're making movies. If you guys want to hang out, you know, so everyone would be part of our, our movies and then the, the backyard wrestling thing. Um, but we always would like re we were obsessed with like, uh, yeah. like so, with horror and that it's so many different things. Like we would be, we loved like the old, psycho movies how the old ones were black and white and then it turned to color and stuff so when we'd recreate our own like movies we'd have the first ones in black and white yeah and then (laughs) that changed to color we were obsessed with and then we even like the first couple of things we made was called the evil flamingo and we had six (laughs) of these movies which are massive rip-off of chucky but we had my sister's flamingo doll and then we would do like I'll show you a little bit of a clip later. Like we were like nine, eight, nine. We were creating like practical effects of like tomato sauce and all that sort of stuff. So we're just obsessed <laughs> with, yeah. I think it was literally because our mom would not let us do it and then we were allowed to do it and then it was like, oh, shit. This
0: so is- you're getting away with something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and- that was your play. Other kids would play football and, and and have their fun with their army men and things like that and and you, your play was Putting together movies.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. even even before the camera stuff, uh, we would have toys like say the Army Men, and we'd act out movies of them, and then make covers for them. <laughs> like oh, yeah, yeah covers we had the used to draw covers. Uh, like we, I got in so much trouble in primary school because like the teacher pulled my mum aside. She's like, these are like a little bit disturbing. She was showing the things that I was drawing, and I was drawing like you know. You know. <laughs> yeah, like, like murder and things like yeah, that. I yeah, think Danny yeah. was one or two bad, you know, turns off of becoming a serial killer or something. <laughs> glad he hit, found the outlet of I was no uh, Anything that, like, scared me, I was interested in. Because I remember, like, uh, uh, there was a Bigfoot, an article about Bigfoot in, like, the newspaper. And I cut it out and stuck it into this booklet. And then everything that was, like, scared me, like, anything about killers or anything about anything horrifying, I would cut out and put into this scrapbook. And then my mum was so concerned. Like, yeah, she's like, "What the fuck is this?" I'm like, "I don't know." I was just because it scared me to put it there and try and not be scared by it or collect it. I don't know. It was weird. Or like hide it in a book so you don't have to face it. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird.
0: So you weren't pulling the legs off of insects and torturing little. No, I no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, who were the? Uh, the people that you first realized were filmmakers. You 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 watched movies, you love movies, but the idea of somebody actually making these movies and giving them a cinematic personality, who were the ones that inspired you where you first realized that's who these people were?
1: I know exactly what it was. It was Goosebumps, R. O. Stein. Ah. Like uh, cause we like used to grow like used to collect love collecting, and we had all the Goosebump books, and then we were like creating something in the backyard, and I'm like, I'm telling everyone what to do. I'm R.L. Stein, I'm the writer. And then our cousin's like, well, I'm the director. I'm like, what's that? Oh. And then like, that was when I first found out what a director was. And and that's when I started really breaking it down. And like trying to understand, I was like, there was Children of the Corn. And I'm like, there's the same writer and director direct Children of the Corn for? Like I didn't understand right. it. I remember like talking to Jenny about it, the, the mom, the friend that took us to the movies. And then she's like, I don't know. And like, I just became really obsessed with like how it all worked. and And yeah.
0: So yeah. you started paying attention to credits? Yeah,
1: Yeah, and then like, uh, you know, behind the scenes, like, because you always, you know, the first time you see behind the scenes, you get overwhelmed as a kid because it's like, it takes all this for the what's on screen, you know, there's like, you know, a hundred people there, like, what are they doing, you know, and they're kind of figuring out what, what these people do and stuff. And I remember even like the first film set that uh, I went on, like film set, film set, was it wasn't until, you know, 18, 19, that I was like, I, I kind of got a bit overwhelmed because I'm like, oh my God, there's a real grip truck. There's a real gaff truck. Like This is a real thing. This isn't just, you know, you're not just behind the scenes on a movie. Like this is real life. You can have a job in this.
0: Yeah, you know? nothing like that was regular in Adelaide. Yeah, no, no it's not
1: entertainment so driven. It's not film driven. It's, it's it, it seems like so impossible. Yeah, because like I remember telling like a teacher, I'm like, I want to be a filmmaker. And he's like, oh, no. We've all got our dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Or even like our dad. Like, well, Our our parents were really supportive. Like dad turned, like when we were in grade nine, like turned our whole garage into a green screen because we were trying to become, you know, we'd always try, how do we make things look more cinematic? And we're always just following what we saw on, you know, behind the scenes and stuff or movies that inspired us. But he said to us as well, pursue it, but have a backup, like have... A normal job in something, so you don't have to try and just rely on that. But we could never do that. I could never hold a normal job. You I've know. never had a normal job. You've never been able to do it. Like uh, I've had two jobs, two normal jobs that lasted under a week. You well, know. My, my job, yeah. I I uh used to check into medical trials and they would test out drugs that weren't on the market yet. So like that was my job. And I was the, like, <laughs> You were the guinea some, pig. Yeah, yeah literally, no. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, they're like young males between 18 and 21 would like check in, they'd give us drugs, and then they just Survey us there for a month to see what the side effects were. <laughs> Danny would write and turn yellow. And, yeah, I turned yellow once. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: what Robert Rodriguez did. He oh, would do really... that and he would give blood. And that's how he made money to make his first yeah, movie. Yeah, that was Danny. Yes, yes. that was. Yes. What he
1: did. <laughs> I, I was doing like uh, um, volunteer work on films. Anything I could just for free. Uh, and I'd done like five movies. And then one of the producers said, you can't keep doing everything for free. And I was like, I just want to be here. I just want to get experience because I was loving it so much. And then she, says, she said, next film will be, uh, you do will be paid. And that was The Babadook.
0: Well, so I was going to ask about that. What did you do on The Babadook? And and how did you manage to get those jobs on the set uh, outside of Adelaide? I'm assuming it was probably Sydney or Melbourne. No, it was in Adelaide. It was in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So so I got the job. I, I, should, I don't think I was qualified at all for that job. But I had done so much free work that the line producer, Julie Byrne, said, Next film I do, I promise I'll hire you as a paid runner, production runner. So, so you I, were a PA. I was yeah, production runner. Like I d- picked up SE Davis, like I picked up the actors, dropped them off. Yeah. It was all the driving stuff, you know. And there was once there was this big important producer coming down from interstate, and they said this this producer's important. You have to be there at 5 a.m. I'm like no worries, and I'm like okay, switched on. And I went home, and in the morning I realized I forgot the address at the.
0: Oh, no. The Screen
1: Corporation. So I drove. I was ringing everyone. It was too early. No one was awake. I drove to the Film Corporation. No one's there. I'm trying to open the door. No one's there. Oh no. And I look up where our, our office was and there was like a, a, a door that was like solely just a little bit open. I'm like, oh, so I started scaling up the building
0: <laughs> it's I, like and Spider-Man. I the door. <laughs> the
1: door. was locked, but it was like open a little bit and I pulled it and broke the lock and the alarm for the whole building went off. Well, 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 well. And I ran, grabbed the address, dived off the side, of the, <laughs> side <laughs> of the balcony, got in the car and drove. And I was, uh, um, I was, uh, just there on time to pick up the producer. And oh, I was coming wow. to sweat. <sighs> and sweat. Like, How's it going? And then
0: she got in the car. So did you guys share these experiences?
1: Uh, well, uh, I was. Uh, or was Michael
0: the-, the more exploratory one here?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, because he was the runner. I was um on the lighting team. I was assisting of lighting on Bubble Duke. He was work experience motherfuckers i yeah i did all this work 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 guys let's just get that right i was on for work experience and they're like do you want a job on here and you keep coming back like we can't pay you but we'll give you a credit in the movie and i was like yeah hell yeah so i came back and i was just on set lighting assisting lighting assisting and then the film came out and they credited me as work experience i was like (laughs) oh what that's my first film credit as a work experience it was so embarrassing
0: (laughs) but on a great film you must have had the best education on that film it's such a classic
1: yeah it's amazing jennifer kent's amazing it was yeah the first director that we saw that really really cared and was passionate and like the other film sets we'd been on felt like they were just making junk and like no one really cared and no one really had a vision and then this was like the first film where, like oh fuck she cares She's, about yeah. every shot every frame every time i i drive her home i'd see how much like oh, her whole wall was covered with you know what's to, the next day and stuff and and even with like and it was a tough shoot but she never like swayed from her vision. And I really respect that about her. Like uh, she was getting what she was going to get what she wanted, no matter what. And um, I love that about her.
0: Oh, it's, it's wonderful. And it shows in the movie, but it depresses me that that's the first filmmaker you ever saw who did care mm. that much that the people you'd worked with before did not. That surprises and depresses me.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, like say from directing, like from uh, directing stuff, right. The stuff that I'd worked on before that was more like, like a job, if I like a job, everyone's just doing their job, you know. Whereas that was like, this isn't just a job. This is this is know, art. Yeah, this is art. Yeah, it's art. This yeah. is cinema. Th- yeah. This is making something that that will be remembered. Like that. That's what. That's the the vibe I got from her. That people maybe didn't connect with on set. That I, that I just loved. I was like every every weekend or whatever. I just kept telling them anything you need like if you're going out just let me drive you around make things easier whatever i'm i'm 100% here let, i want to be involved cuz i loved it i loved
0: it well how great to have an onset inspiration that you could carry with you for the rest of your career
1: yeah yeah, yeah. it's amazing and, and i like like, did so much jobs with all different departments like i worked with grip i worked with stunts i worked with sound so i kind of understand how I understand how things work on set and I have like an empathy for those people as well because I've worked with them, um, you know, and like the grips, man, they got such a tough job, 16, 17 hour days, lugging equipment in the Australian desert, you know, (laughs) like it was, it was, it was good to hire those same people for our films, there's a lot of them we brought back, like that, that I worked with that I liked, that I thought were cool people for our film, you know, they crewed on ours as well.
0: Well, you're not only learning the technical aspects of constructing a film, but you guys were actors too. So tell me about how that happened and and where that went, and then we'll get to Raka Raka and how that led to Talk
1: To Me. Yeah, well, um, we, we got approached to uh, talk to uh, like a like a class of students for, they were doing some research for the film, a series called Deadlock. And then, so they we just came in and like told our story because we are like YouTubers at the time, and we showed a video. And then the... The girl that was writing it and like creating it saw us and then wrote us into the show. She's like, Oh, it's sort of based on them. And then the producer's like, Why don't you just get them? <laughs> and then so they approached us, like, Do you wanna act in this? And I was like, like act? Seriously, acting? And I, I was think like they said, yes, not thinking it was actually gonna get picked up. Yeah, sure. they like, it'll help us to find like sure. And then they said, you know, we're it shooting there and then was like, Oh shit. Oh, but crap. it was also like really pivotal and important to me, like to know what it's like to be directed. Like I was like curious to feel like, oh, I wanna see what it's like to be an actor. And then so like I can have that experience when I'm directing actors myself. So uh, I remember that being really important to but, me. But but like acting, like we just did it from kids because it was just like we were making videos. So we had to we kind of did everything, you know. And uh, and acting was like our friends, and that we would uh, do it with our friends. We don't never wanted to be or want to be actors, but it's just something that. You know we it was a kind of a necessity of when you're filmmaking with your friends and that so we always were just acting and performing for camera
0: well has comedy and horror always been your your first love in movies
1: uh, we're, we're actually more of a fan of like drama films really like <laughs> yeah what, what are some of your favorites my, my favorite TV show ever is in treatment. Oh yeah, yeah. Just the therapist and the patient, and and originally
0: an Israeli show. An Israeli Israeli show, yeah. Yeah. I love
1: the original as well. Yeah, I I just I I I love that storytelling. I love those characters. Like they, it was like they felt so real, and like and those performances were so incredible. So I was really obsessed with that show, and uh, Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho. Memories of Murder. Memories of Murder is my favorite film because because that's that's the perfect blend between genres. You know, Mm. that's funny, dark. And it's a drama and it's thriller. It's like everything merged in one and they bounce between those genre, like those genres so uh, seamlessly. And I mean, even like the composition of all the actors in the frame. Like it, it's, uh, yeah, we well, love yeah, it. Well, yeah, so it goes from like a wide shot of like four or five actors and then it will change frames to, to a single shot at the end of it. It kind of reminds me of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Wow. Uh, it starts off with a close-up. I don't remember this, who the actor was, but it's close-up with his face. And it's like, okay, it's closing up his face. And then it pulls out. And as it's pulling out, it's revealing something new. He's on a noose. He goes further out. Here, there's other people with him. He's not alone. It keeps pulling out. They're sitting on horses, you know? Yeah. And there's, like, people there, and they're about to be executed. It's like that kind of uh, revealing things with with camera. That's, Without
0: cuts, yeah. but doing it cinematically with... And that's something you have to know beforehand, because so many people rely on putting pieces of film together to make it work yep. because they're afraid of committing to something like that.
1: Exactly, yeah. And yeah. that's, like, with our film, we really sat with uh, our DOP and figured out the visual language before. Like, we loved shot listing every day and and coming up with a style for the film. That was, like, something that was important to us. And, like, like the opening every corner revealing something new you know like yeah using the camera to kind of instead of just going yeah oh, let's just cover it every way and then work it out in the edits like go in with a vision and um you can have some backups but you know you know this what you want to get you know and um yeah that yeah. was exciting but yeah us. just so like full transparency we're like terrible at like we're not that literate in film language <laughs> so like <laughs> if we talk we might sound a little dumb but uh yeah just so uh, yeah
0: uh, hardly no yeah. no that the film speaks for itself it's very elegantly made it's beautifully made and and confidently made and surprising to be a first feature but let's talk about youtube as a platform to get yourself established and you became the raka raka brothers tell me how that started and where that began and and how it bloomed
1: yeah yeah so like between like the ages of 13 and 18 we had like a show that we we're doing with our friends and and we did 10 seasons of this show we we're doing six movies or was 80 episodes and you could sort of sort of see us growing as filmmakers as those seasons were progressing not on youtube they were not on youtube they were just making it for our friend's older sister we used to like like air it for her and that like we would premiere these episodes uh, and then as we were like approaching the end of high school, our friends were outgrowing it and we we're like doing the sixth and final film. and I'm like, it's, it's to six, everyone. And they're like, yeah, I've got a date with my girlfriend. Like I'm not <laughs> fucking going there it's for it's my weekend there.
0: Not their priority. Yeah. Not yeah. their priority
1: at all. And so like, uh, well, we were trying to juggle like the, if we had like, we were organizing massive shoots for the weekend. Right. Yeah. And then the lead guy would be like, oh no, I'm. We're going to the cinema with my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, we've, for two weeks we try to organize. It. He's like, no, sorry. Ne- nah, next weekend, you know. It but just, it just got to the point where people are outgrowing it, and they're like, because they're not. Uh, yeah, so a lot of things were just doing it for fun and and all that. So yeah, they
0: weren't looking for a career in in the entertainment. In
1: industry. the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like we were, and so it like uh, that sort of st- like that, that project stopped, and I had no way to be creative. I was like, oh shit. So then I just started making small videos online, like fake fails, is what I first like made. I like pretended, I was like. I got dared to stick a knife in a toaster in a video. And then I end up sticking a knife in the toaster and then it blows up. <laughs> and it was like practical effects and like VFX all blended together, but presented as real. And like these clips would go really viral, these fake fails. So it'd end up on like Jimmy Kimmel and Conan O'Brien. Nice. And they, no one knew where they came from. They're like, who made these clips? So our friend uh, 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 who had a YouTube channel called The Royal Stampede convinced us to make a YouTube channel to put everything onto So that's when we made Raka Raka, and we just started making stuff for there. And within the first year, we had a million subscribers. Wow. And Yeah, it blew up so quickly. It was crazy. Well, there was one video that we we had. It was on like 3,000 views. We went to bed, woke up, and it was on 500,000. We're like, whoa. And at the end of the day, it was on 1.5 million.
0: And you can make a living off of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, well, to
1: begin with, we refused to. So we didn't put ads on the videos. Because... There was something in us that's like, we're not doing this for money, so we're not going to make money on it. So we didn't put ads on it. It was weird, yeah. Yeah, and, and then our, we thought our fans would respect that, but our fans were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Monetize the videos. videos. <laughs> you know, so...
0: This could be pay your bills. Exactly,
1: you know. yeah. So yeah. when we got to a million subscribers is when we monetized, finally. But by, that, but we constantly, like, every dollar we made on our videos, like, even with brand deals and all that sort of stuff, we'd put it back into the content we are making. So we're just constantly broke never and constantly yeah, trying to... Yeah. Never business-minded with <laughs> Terrible like business being smart people. with money. It's yeah. like, how can we make this better? And every dollar can be used to make it better. So let's do that, you know.
0: Now, siblings often are either very much apart or very close, being twins especially. How do you think that affected the, the way that you grew up together?
1: You know, I think we're both close and apart. We're close business-wise, but apart personally like i don't talk so you to don't about, hang like,
0: out every day together
1: well yeah. if it's we we kind of do because it's work orientated and our right. lives is just 24 7 film but, but if i had a chance if it was like oh there's a movie night I, I can go with michael or i can pretend it's not happening and he won't know about it, and i'll go i'd rather pretend it's not happening and go <laughs> <laughs> yeah like we won't talk to each other about our personal issues you know yeah. it's like right. it's just the film it's just filmmaking yeah and yeah i, I have to baby him He's the unreliable twin, so you know.
0: Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. I see getting someone insight. nodding in the background there. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm uh, <getting> a <laughs> publicity
1: <laughs> person back there. Like, they're like, even my managers or agents and stuff, everyone's like, where's Michael? I'm like, oh, I, do I really have to baby this loser? <laughs> 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 no, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on so much stuff, it's like uh, hard to keep a handle on everything. <laughs> <laughs> <It's my laughs> <so> the funniest <laughs> story is he was a week late to pre production of Talk to Me. Oh, that's how unreliable. I, I this got, got, no, 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 no. I got stuck in, I got COVID in America.
0: Oh, okay. Whatever yeah. your excuse
1: was, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Excuse, excuse, I
0: think that one works.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, as soon as I went to get on the plane, because you do a test, you have to do a test back right. there to get on the plane, it was, you're, you're done. I'm like, oh, no. And I was sitting in the hotel. And I just joined in on the Zooms, and then when they go, ah, we're gonna go. I'm like, do you want to zoom it when you know keep me on
0: the video? <laughs> oh yeah, like we're checking the location. location
1: then he's like, do, can you zoom it with me? I'm like, yeah. no, and I hung up. Yeah, <laughs> can you send video pictures of the location?
0: <laughs> so as the Raka Raka brothers, how, whose responsibility was what? Is one of you more technically oriented and the other more performance oriented? How does that work with? With a relationship, you know, we talk about filmmaking as being such a group effort, yeah. but directing, writing and directing and, and starring in as the Rack- Racker brothers, that's complicated.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so like I would always like have the rough idea of what we're doing. Like sometimes I'd script it. Sometimes we just go into a location. And I have a rough idea in my head and I was always behind the camera. So I shoot all the Racker Racker stuff and Michael's was always in front of the camera. So I'm behind it. He's in front of it. And then usually on the rack of stuff, I would do a rough cut. He'd do a fine cut. He'd do sound effects and music. And I'll do color grade and VFX. And that's how we used to break it up. And then as, as, the, as we progressed and got bigger and bigger, we were able to get people to come in and help us out with our VFX and our makeup and like help us shoot it and stuff. But like that was the, the core. And even with like the film, once we got on to talk to me, he was leading the, the um, sound effects and music. He was like conversing with those departments more than I was. And I was, like, you know, doing the other side of it. So it was, like, yeah, we we broke up on those sort of roles. Yeah. And, like, like, there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stunt-orientated stuff with the the Raka Raka. So that was, like, that was cool to... Well, Danny had the easier job on that one because he'd just say action and I'm the one getting hit by cars and then Danny goes, ah, it doesn't look that. Like. Get do it a bit faster. you know. <laughs> like so, But it was cool like through that to meet stunt performers and then like find a crew that was like, will, uh, that wanted to create do new and innovative stuff to, you know, ways of shooting stunts. So we did rigs and stuff that had never been done before. You know, we'd love creating that stuff with our stunt team and we're looking forward to doing an action film because... I think we can bring a side to it or a point of view with it that, that hasn't been seen yet. I, I feel. I, uh, yeah, I. So Michael's writing an action film right now. I'm I'm still writing horror. So. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I, I, even like when I had the, we had the first draft to talk to me, like I always send it to Michael. Michael will give notes, and he's like, like goodly brutal. Like I I finished. <laughs> we can be honestly brutal with each You we were other. very honest, and so like I wrote. Uh, we wrote finished. Uh, a horror film called Bring Her Back. I'm like, oh, I love this. I love this. And I sent it to Michael. He's like, boring.
0: <laughs> he's like,
1: it's good, but it's boring. Like, get the stuff quicker. And so, like, it was like good feedback for the next draft. And it's like, at first, I'm like, the fuck, he doesn't fuck. What does Michael do? And then, like, more of cinema, like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, I can see well, how Well, it's yeah. kind of like, what yeah, what are you trying to do? Like, we love the, like, say that script was like, a, it was like a family drama, which is great if you want to make a family drama, but if you want to make a horror film <laughs> you know it's a bit slow for a horror film yeah yeah know? so it was it was good for the next draft to like yeah remember it's a horror film and not get lost in the drama of it and, well, and you know what we both do them. that we both love the like when we're doing a writing genre we, we tend, tend to lean more towards the drama for some reason it's like balancing them like we want to talk to me to work on, as two films a drama film and a horror film and even like the 20 minutes that we ended up cutting out from the film like for the final um cut was all, all drama scenes it was not any horror it was all mm-hmm. like it's like all right we the actors are conveying this on their face we have awesome performers and they're like what's integral to the plot and what's not gonna sit there and linger on stuff that doesn't need to be lingered on you know
0: <laughs> so uh, the transition from youtube channel to a feature film, an A24 feature film. How did that come about? Uh, did you pitch it? Did, did you uh, just start making it on your own, writing it on your own? How, how, how did you go about and make that transition to feature filmmakers?
1: Yeah, it was, like, uh, the YouTube channel kept getting demonetized. The videos kept getting removed and stuff because we made really graphic and violent content. <laughs> and so, like, they were like, oh, this isn't really right for the platform yeah, anymore. A- initially, it was. Like, they were pushing it because we were kind of one of the only channels doing, like, filmmaker stuff, like, that had, well, like... Well, that's not entirely true. There was still, like... Po- was, I said there's some. There was some, like, well, some, one yeah. of the few that was doing, like, filmmaker stuff. A lot of the other content wa- wasn't that. It was kind of... Gaming and and reacting and things like that. We were doing like filmmaking stuff and that was a few channels It was like a kind of select it was a niche so YouTube initially promoted us like hard like look they're not just this is YouTube's everything they're doing filmmaking stuff, you know Um, but then you know We we, you know to be fair We have a tendency to push the envelope a little bit as well with, with, with the violence and things like that and um YouTube changed its policies to be more family-friendly yeah you know? so yeah to give an idea is like you can watch one of our videos called uh, Mortal Kombat fatalities in real life it's so, like we created some Mortal Kombat fatalities and it's so graphic and it's a surprise YouTube removed it we ended up convincing them to put it back on but like that content they weren't really pushing anymore they're like okay and so I, I sort of lost uh, like my way of being creative on the platform like it was too many red tapes and I was like I don't really know how to make stuff anymore like within these guidelines so that's when I started writing again which we we're doing before the raka raka stuff and i sort of lost that because we got so carried away with doing all the youtube stuff and like exploring ourselves as filmmakers that i stopped writing um and then so like talk to me was when i first sat down and like got back into it for the first time and i feel bad there was another producer julie byrne who got Mark um his first job on bubble duke we did have a film that we were, we were writing called concrete kings but then because we are doing the YouTube stuff so much, we never really put the time and the care into that. So that project sort of stopped. You was, were distracted, yeah. We were yeah distracted. and it was a very difficult... It was our first attempt of doing like a Bong Joon-ho, Memories of Murder, with the genre, you know, the blending genre. And it didn't really work. Like, it was like we were trying to do... Yeah, we're trying to merge the drama with action, with comedy and that. And it wasn't really... It's, it's tough to do, you know. And it wasn't really working. So it was... And it was like writers... New, new writers kept getting attached, and like it just wasn't, it just wasn't you know mixing right. It just wasn't playing right. On we, page. We, yeah, we learned so much from that because I was trying to tell a writer that we ended up getting that I really liked, and I was like, oh, make sure to include this in the scene and this. And I'm like, oh, let me know. me show you. And I wrote like an outline. I'm like, oh, like sort of like this. And then she said to me and the producer, she's like, I'm not saying this because I don't want the job. I'm saying this because I just I'm being honest. I think you should write this movie. She's like you're. You've d- done all this. Like this is. I can't. Uh, this is your head. This is your creation. She's like you can write. I think you should sit down and properly learn how to write. And so that was like it sort of gave me the confidence to like do a draft of Concrete Kings and then like after that continue writing on and off. I just like got a bit of confidence from that. Uh, and then yeah, I just kept sharpening that skill. And, and that's why having a great co-writer, Bill Hinsman, who co-wrote the film with Danny, yeah. he's lives and breathes script you know and film and he'll all that's all he does and it's all he's ever done and like we discovered him in film school uh the the media course that we did he was the only one that was serious about it like we were everyone else was kind of like there for kind of like a laugh and to hang out and stuff he was about filmmaking and we were about filmmaking. So we were naturally yeah. drawn to each and, other. And, and it was like, he was so much older than us because like, he was like in his mid thirties and we were 18. But like we connected, I'm like, cause we we're the only, like, yeah. There were a lot of people there that were really into it, but he was really into it. And so I really connected with him. I brought him over. I'm like, dad, this is my friend. He's like, hey. Dad's like, oh, hey. <laughs> but like, we just like would collaborate and write all the time. So like at, before the YouTube stuff, we did a short film called Deluge as well, which is about a father and son in a suicide cult. And, the, but like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, as, as the YouTube stuff took off, got distracted and then eventually got back into it.
0: And so talk to me in particular, how did that come about?
1: Uh, so there was a, a, a film that we were writing, another horror film that had all these same characters in it. That yeah. I, Like I like I had the idea of these characters and stuff. And then uh, Daley Pearson, who's a producer on a cartoon called Bluey. There's a creator oh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he uh, sent me a short film, which was like uh, kids, like, yeah. Like, yeah, short film script. Uh, of like kids having fun with possession and then i I, like read it he's like do you want to do a pass and direct this and i was like yes and so i like (laughs) sat down like i got it and i started writing i rewrote did my pass and i literally just couldn't stop writing and like the characters and everything just like was flowing out of me and like after like a couple of days a few days i had like the first draft which was like 80 pages of like rough notes and characters and scenes and so moments. you find
0: your hands writing rather than your head
1: yeah. yeah yeah you just go with the flow and then like i send that to bill hinsman our collaborator and i'm like well what do you think and then he would give notes and stuff and he would do a pass and he'd send it back to me and then we would get the ball rolling like that and then eventually we had a script that were like oh like let's take this out and so we uh send it to causeway
0: did you have agents then
1: uh, so we had our, our managers yeah. Uh, not agents. Um, but only, we only got managers because Danny sent an email to some film. Company. I think I sent an email to the head of Fox, or something, and I was like, "Hey, uh, I, I've got this script. Do you want to make this?" And they're like, "This is not really how you approach things <laughs> he's like this." Like, he's got managers. He's like, yeah, do you want, "Yeah, I think we should get you some managers so you can sort of learn how that, that side of the industry works." And so that's when we got our managers. Uh, and then yeah, they 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 sort of sent it out, and then we got our. Causeway attached, because we'd known Causeway and Sam Jennings and that they really liked the script. They signed on to it. We took it, they they did another couple of passes. We took it out to Hollywood and our managers were like, get us meetings here, here, and here. And pretty much everyone said no. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, no, no, no. They're like, oh my god, oh, this company! Oh this company! They're like, No, I'm like oh shit, this company, They're like no, and everything gets kept and shut down. And then there was one studio that um after a few months said yes. And uh, they started. We started getting creative notes that were just sort of steering it into a direction that we weren't. That, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, this feels a bit typical or a bit stereotypical. And I was like, I don't really like. I wouldn't want to direct this or write this. Like, I'm bored. with the idea of this avenue that they were sort of proposing, and so those notes sort of made us like discuss it with our producer Sam and just say, let's just make it independently in Australia. And that was. It would be like we way smaller budget and stuff. But yeah, yeah. that was thing is like you get you know, told it's going to be a big budget and all this, but creative control and things like that, you know, you hear the nightmare stories of directors that, you know, sign onto a thing that's got budget or whatever, but then it just gets taken away from them and recut and it turns out shit. You know, we were so afraid of that. And it was, it was tough. It was actually a really tough decision because it's like, you can make this with a Hollywood studio. Like that's our dream. But, the creative vision came first and it's like we're not we're not confident we're going to get that with
0: this yeah you've got uh, gatekeepers yeah people who are going to try and make you make your film more like other successful films yeah rather yeah, than yeah. be its own thing
1: exactly yeah. like it'll be more it it'd be more geared towards like say the success of the film based on what's worked in the past yeah. as opposed to what's best for this project in particular what's best for the film and, and like to be like completely open honest like the notes they were giving weren't bad at all they were really good notes and i understood right. where they were coming from but it just it wasn't connecting with me and i was a bit scared of it and i think there was some stuff going on with Causeway and them anyway. And then, so I don't know, we just ended up saying, let's just make it independently in Australia. Well, even like, yeah, all that, we kind of rolled the dice with it every, you know, step of the way, even using Australian accents and, yeah. and stuff like that, you know, cause you're we told Australian movies don't make money. Why are you going to do it? Yeah. They're like, they don't sell overseas. They're like, they're, they're very like, to that country only is what we got told so that was scary as well but, but it uh, was kind of like our youtube channel we have australian accents in that well actually sometimes we imitate we do our own american accents but it's mainly maybe- <laughs> for better or for worse yeah <laughs> definitely for it's, worse it's australian yeah we're australians making it's in australia but we're not making stuff just for australia we want to make stuff that's international and we kind of showed that i guess with the youtube channel a little bit that our biggest audience wasn't australians our biggest audience was america And every other country, Australia was way down the list on the top countries watching our YouTube channel. Yeah. So why wouldn't that be that way? Same way with the film. So we kind of just, yeah, went for it and made the movie we wanted to make and... Whatever happens, happens, you know. We're happy with it. (laughs) Well,
0: there's a long history of Australian horror that has been internationally successful. I mean, Babadook and Wolf Creek and Picnic at Hanging Rock and all all kinds of things that really kicked off in the 70s. Thirst was another one that's... So how do you feel about being a part of that Australian horror history?
1: Oh, yeah, it's awesome. It's it's such such a cool honour. And, like, I want to film all my films. I want to bring it and shoot everything in Australia. Like, we just love... Being there, we love the people there. It's um, just the crew, but yeah, the crew that we put together, you know, it's like, I, I felt like the, the crew was 85% the people that was like, wanted to be there and it's fun. And like a crew, a good crew is integral. You know, if you're going to be on set, it's already a difficult process. He's talking about Australian cinema, Sorry. not crews. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, tributaries are all welcome. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but but, but no, the, actually, well, they, the crew that we made of just they, the people in Australia, it's like just the crew that we've worked with now. That's like, we're comfortable. They know how you work and we work not conventionally you know so we're a bit much maybe maybe a little bit much you know that but they were yeah cool with that which is but like yeah, it was like our lawyer because once we, we had to reinvest our fees to make budget um and our lawyer was just saying he's like eight percent of australian films make their budget back wow so 92 percent of australian films aren't financially successful or like yeah make their budget back or even go into profit so those figures were like whoa i didn't i didn't realize that. i didn't know that but that's how like how much it doesn't translate usually
0: Wow I, I I shot a pilot in 2000 in Australia called "Lost in Oz," that was a show that never went forward, but I love the work ethic. I love the commitment and the joy with which that crew uh, approaches it. What do you think are the hallmarks of Australian cinema, whether it's horror or just in general?
1: Oh shit, Mad Max. they said a whole <laughs> by, like, yeah well,
0: what said, do you think are the qualities yeah, the that qualities, are unique yeah. to, to Australian cinema?
1: Uh, Man, this question's above our heads. We're so dumb. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's obviously the humor. not the case.
1: Maybe. The humour? I, I think that there's a... Um, fuck, yeah, this question is like, uh, man, I'm bad at this talk. Uh,
0: Well, it, there's a very strong sense of independence with the Australian people, not just with the Australian cinema, and it seems to be well represented by that.
1: Right, right. Yeah, see, we're, like, uh, we're not too, too feels familiar like with it's it. Like, uh, uh, yeah, like laid back in a way yes and people don't take themselves too seriously yeah you know it's like kind of you You everyone there you can have a good time with it feels like you know especially well, when we were making the film it's you're like, going back to crew he's talking about
0: cinema right
1: well no that she's all right but i
0: think they're the same thing i think it's yeah. the social uh, representation as well as the artistic representation that there there's a sense of renegade about australia both in the movies and and the people i mean it was a prison island yeah Uh, that's what we are
1: yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, i don't know yeah like i said earlier we are dumb
0: (laughs) (laughs) just the opposite well tell me where the game talk to me centers around a game called talk to me yeah where did that game come from did it just was it something that you just made up
1: yeah, yeah. So, like, that, that game aspect for it was in that those initial that initial short film. Uh, the hand wasn't in it. It just said haunted object.
0: So the hand is a ceramic hand that supposedly surrounds a genuine hand of a psychic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... As far as the kids know. As far as the kids right. know. It's sort of like um, everyone has their theories about it. And everyone the, the rules that they've made are, like, the kids have made these rules. But are these the rules? Or, like... We just wanted the kids to be in over their heads and not understand what it was that they're messing with and like not know the history of it, which is one of the notes that we got was like really dive into the past of it and figure out how to beat it and the origins of it. And whereas I wanted the kids to not know what they were fucking with.
0: And it doesn't even matter.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. The and,
0: story but, is driven by the action, not by the history of the hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yes. And, and, the, and the, hand, the character's reactions to the, it.
1: The, the second draft was when the actual hand came in, because like I said, it was haunted object before that. But the hand came about, like the hand is a physical representation of the themes about connection and it's reaching out. That's Mia's reaching for any kind of connection. She's rejecting the genuine connection with her father and she's looking for external sources for that, that validation, that, that, that intimacy. You know, when her mother uh, took her own life, you, you see like through the Snapchat clips how close they were, like with physical touch and stuff. Mia's been robbed of all of that. So she's just uh, looking for it in any way she can. And you see every ounce of intimacy slowly gets stripped away from her throughout the film, and she's clinging more and more to the false connections. So the hand was uh, a physical representation. It's desperate. It's reaching. Yeah, and it's all about touch and connection and things like that. Well, it's
0: great that you actually have to hold this hand to ignite what's going to take place
1: exactly yeah. yeah yeah so yeah in the original short film i remember it now it was like just a haunted object and i was chanting so like the the, the actual uh, like that the talk to me and that it just came in the drafts and yeah it it was all about like her like reaching out to something talk to me like 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 conversing with someone like something she's not doing with her father yeah, and like, i let you she in she's not letting anyone in emotionally so it, like it was all got to do with like her psyche and her mental state. Well, if she just would talk to her father, if you know, everything talk to would me, if, if, if everything would be okay. It's like yeah. they're dancing around the, you know, facing what's happened and admitting what has happened. You know, that's that's the issue. She's not with her dad. They're not they're not connecting, and um, that's what needs to happen. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a beautifully acted and beautifully written character, and and she does an amazing job. But for those who have not seen the movie, tell our audience the plot. Of talk to me.
1: Well, I can say like the elevator pitch is kids that use demonic possession to get high.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that's a pretty good pitch. Yeah, yeah.
1: And 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 we follow a character that um, relies more and more on the supernatural to fulfill what's empty in her life. I think it's like. Roughly yeah. how to describe the film. Teenagers using demonic possession to get high. It's probably just better. Leave it at the just one leave line. it at that one. <laughs> leave it at
0: that, yeah. Well, what was the reaction the first time you saw it with an audience?
1: It, it was It was at the Adelaide Film Festival. Um, you know, we did one little screening before that with just some people to see if things were landing. But the first, like, audience of, like, the finished film right. was Adelaide Film Festival. No one knew what the film was about or anything. So Talk to me
0: doesn't tell you much. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. No.
1: So people like that. There was they, no poster. There was nothing. Yeah. yeah. And that, so, and then there was a lot of people like our fans and stuff that came. It's like, what they're expecting is probably not what they're going to get. It's not raka raka. Exactly. It it's yeah. like what they were probably expecting some crazy, you know, comedy horror splatter film or something, you know? Right. Um, And it wasn't that. So it was good. The re- reception was good. I didn't believe that people liked it when they said they did. You know when they go, you go. Oh, it was great. It's like yeah, okay. What do you really think? Yeah. Yeah. that That's was like was... the entire night. He's like, okay, well, what, what do you actually think? Like the whole night, he was like, well, what, what was shit yeah, about they, it? Yeah, they said well, yeah. what was good about it. I said, oh, well, what was shit about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see. What... Michael was so I... sure everyone was lying yeah, to him. Yeah, well. like that, that that were just like being supportive and stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah we, but, we but did... like yeah, it felt like the reaction was really amazing. And then, like uh, we started to get confidence with the film. Like we took a, a promo reel out to Cannes Film Market. And, like, off of that, just about sold the entire world internationally for wow. theatrical distribution off the promo reel.
0: So, is that where you got A24 involved? No, no, no. that so, came. Did that come after the fact, or were they involved from a, an investment
1: point? Yeah, so, so we made the film, uh, we took it to Cannes film market. There was like selling so well, We there was like a small bidding war between some companies to sell the US distribution. And our producer's like, I think we've got a good film here. What if we take that and try and get into one of these bigger festivals? So we'd applied for South by Southwest, Sundance and Berlin Film Festival and a bunch of festivals. And yeah, we got into Sundance and we got into South by Southwest and Berlin. And then uh, so we hadn't sold the U.S. distribution rights yet. And then after the uh, the premiere of the film at Sundance, uh, the offers started coming in and it was like right so sundance
0: yeah. was where it happened yeah. where sundance the cash magical. registers started to ring
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah and then you start hearing like, oh there's a bidding war thing going you're like whoa and then a24 asks to meet us you know and we're sitting in our hotel with no sleep and then a24 come in and they're pitching themselves to us and we're like is this real right now? Uh, like, yeah, this is, really-
0: we're used to doing the pitching, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, so weird.
1: Like our producer, she said that she's tried forever to get a meeting with A24 and never happened, you know. And now they're saying to us, "Oh, this is why we think we're right to distribute your film." And they're yeah. like describing who they were. were, like we know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd always make jokes that we're making an A24 film on set and in the edit. That was a thing. That was a running joke. Yeah. It's not very a twenty four of you to be lingering on that shot. Yeah, like that. <laughs> we we uh we but we never thought that would be, become a reality. It um, seems impossible, and, and um I think there, there was going to be another offer that came in that was going to be bigger and stuff, but it was like that studio and like those people, and they were so personable. Like when they came in, they came in, introduced themselves to us, then they left the state, they went back to New York. And then they flew back again with more people, and then wow. like so I, when they I, heard there was another offer, yeah,
0: <laughs> and they know their shit in the genre.
1: Yeah, they know their shit. The genre, they were awesome people, and uh, we, we like the idea. Yeah, it was just it was so, well, and then also like we spoke to we had like lunch with Ariaster the day uh-huh. a few days after, and he was saying how much he trusts them and um, how they never you know depend on his vision for things. You know, like they were great, they're amazing to work with. So kind of having that confidence of people that have worked with them in the past before and also were just the biggest fans of them. It was like yeah. they felt the right one. The right well, one. it
0: was interesting what they did with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies feels very akin to Talk To Me in some ways.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. It, they, they're, so many of their films, it, it was just, yeah, man, what a dream.
0: <laughs> so the Sundance screening, that had to be one of the highs of your life.
1: Yeah. So or, was it a
0: midnight show?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, the screening itself was the probably – the worst feeling in the world because it was it was the first time that in critics the world, were gonna critics were gonna see it. Oh, and yeah. It was the first time that uh you know the industry was gonna see it, and there was gonna be reviews and things like they were talking about all these people that are gonna be there. And I was critics, like, agents, yeah. I'm like, is there finances, any like I don't yeah. know, like audience members gonna be there? Like you know, and then so in the screening, I was dying. <laughs> so I, the dread, he dread, someone wanted the thinking. whole movie, and it was like um someone would get up to go to the toilet. You have to hate it. And they go past. They walk past you. They open a door. All this light would light, you know, wash over the whole cinema.
0: Our lives are over. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah." they're taking it
1: out of the thing, and and then the door would close. And then the person would come back in. Come past you The light comes back in again, and then it was like. And then they shuffle to get to their seats. You're like, yeah, but like this movie, like the whole time, I was, I can remember feeling really embarrassed that Ari had been invited because Ari Asta was there, and I, I like got up to walk over to him to apologize to him. (laughs) I literally, yeah. I got up and I was going to say, I'm so sorry that you got dragged here because I know the agents, I think invited him and stuff like that. And so like, I went up to apologize to him and then he's like, he's like, that was really special. And I was like, uh. really? <laughs> yeah. And then we started getting the feedback and stuff. But like, yeah, in our heads the whole time we were fucking. Yeah. We had no, cause it's, you know, it was all, our whole lives have been building up to doing a film, yeah. you know, and then getting into Sundance and there was a the hype around it going in. There was a yeah. buzz about the film. No one had seen it. Like people, let's just relax a little bit here yeah. because yeah, we don't know. You guys don't Lower know. expectations, Yeah, like, please. I don't to yeah. know, you know, that's what I want. Because I think the agents had seen it and then they gave word to people and then people started coming in and it was just like, everyone was coming in with, like, a higher expectation. Yeah, you don't want like to... Like, we already were, like, intimidated by the fact we were at Sundance because I'm like... Fuck, man. like I'm like everyone's gonna think we're so shit at Sundance, and then yeah, and then oh, there was an expectation on top of that. I was like, it yeah, will die. Yeah, it some- was <laughs> like this yeah, it was like really built up this big shadow of this film. You know, it's this you know crazy, and then like. I, I, yeah in my mind i'm like i would have rather no one know anything and then just go yeah. in you know yeah. but it it worked out so
0: well you, you can't hide an audience's reaction to a genre film that's one of the great things about comedy and one of the great things about horror you can feel how it's going down and you yeah. had to have felt the excitement of this audience
1: yeah as soon as that the opening scene happened and that whole room reacted it yeah. was like it still, for some reason, didn't settle us down. It's still, I was still a bit like, Yeah, we're still disconnected bit. from it and looking. We're just waiting for something to go wrong. So we're looking for when the audience comes <laughs> up, it's like, that. Everyone's laughing, but oh, look. Oh, you know, yeah. you know? But Ari said he had the same experience where there was like a speaker at the back of the cinema that was like flicking on and off or something. It was or, like, broken. Yeah. One of them was busted. Oh, broken so and cou- one
0: of the channels was out. Yeah, yeah,
1: and then he was sitting right at that speaker. Oh. So that, if I was... Oh, man. That, oh, that would have been God. even worse. Oh, What was it? At the South by Southwest screening. For it was out of sync. They played it out of sync. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. the film. And, like, <laughs> and they didn't
0: stop and start it? They we did. did. We, we eventually did. because Halfway
1: through. I was so like... You know, involved with in the audio process to an annoying amount when we were mixing the film and everything. Because I'm so specific um, that when we were doing the screenings, I'm like, I don't want to be like that. Now the movie's done, so when it was out of sync, I'm like, it's three frames out of sync. You know, but I didn't want to say anything, but then producer Sam, she went, she's like, it's out of sync. Oh, like, thank God! And then we went out, and then we spoke. Yeah. There's like a PTSD from it. Every time a screening starts, I'm like, it's gonna be in sync. Yeah, you have yeah. How's it gonna sound? That's a big thing. Are yeah. they playing it loud enough? What's, this, what's the sound like, you know? Uh, but, yeah, we stopped and started it at the right time, and no one seemed to have noticed, but we yeah. certainly did. <laughs> yeah,
0: of course you did. Now, it's played at festivals uh, around the world, so have you seen different reactions in different countries?
1: Yeah, every screening has been different, the reactions. There was one screening in, uh, I think it was Berlin, that was completely silent, wow. and we're like, Oh my goodness. And like, it was like either horror moments. It was like, it kind of like a few like that. And then you go up and then at the end, everyone clapped and everyone stayed for the Q and A. And we're like, we, we said it. but like, we don't know what you guys saw. It was really quiet in here, you know? And they're like, we were just so engrossed in the movie. And then everyone started cheering, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah. So we like, oh, awesome. To <laughs> be like, really fair, we weren't there for the entire movie. We just came at the end. And we're like, it's very quiet in here. But like, uh, yeah. Yeah, like every, like the South by Southwest, that's like, that's the rowdiest crowd, you know? Yes. You yeah. know, that was a rowdy crowd. There's people, there's some screens we go to where that people are like yelling at the screen. Don't!
0: No, no, not the <laughs> hell! You know that
1: sort of stuff. i like, that's cool. They're like they're verbally and gross. Oh, sorry, that pee.
0: This is so exciting, and I'm so excited to help spread the word about this movie and yeah. to have you guys here. And in person, we've had to do so many Zoom shows, and we're back to doing it in person. So glad you could come here. What is next for you guys?
1: Uh, I've finished. We've finished a script for a horror film called Bring Her Back, and I'd love to shoot that ASAP if possible. Uh, but we'll see. Like, uh, we'll see. That's, that's, that's what like right now is the, our full finished product that we've got. I'm like, Oh, man, please let's just shoot that ASAP. So <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> we'll see, we'll yeah, see. it's kind of like, you know, you get told the second film is in ways more important than the first, you know, first is proving that you can come here. And the second one's prove that you should stay. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like finding the one that's right. And we have so, uh, so many ideas, but we have the fin- those finished. It's done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I really badly
0: want to make it. it. Yeah. And did you guys move to LA? No, no. No, you're, you're still We're Australian. still based
1: Australia, but, you know. we are so, like, mobile. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're usually like, in Australia like two months of the whole year. We're like so all over the place. This, like, this year, we've been in Australia for two weeks. You know? Well, yeah, I've been there a little longer, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, we're not really there that much, but yeah, we will be.
0: Well, guys, good luck with the film. It's so great to meet you and share your enthusiasm yeah. and uh, just hoping for much more. Yeah, let's do this
1: again sometime. I'm all for it next time. Cheers, man. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem mortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.